0: I am Glenda Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network, and I have been 15 years with chronic Lyme. Lyme is one of the most misunderstood diseases, yet as horse people, we're exposed to it all the time. Dr. Wendy Yang and I, from the Driving Radio Show, wanted to share this episode with all of our friends at HRN. That is why you are finding this special episode in this feed. Lyme disease is prevalent in horse people and their horses. It is something that we all have to deal with in our lives at one point or another. So we hope you get something out of this look at the state of Lyme today. This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode
1: 315 of the Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Purina Animal Health and American Driving Society.
0: Well, this week, we are taking a special look. This is kind of a special episode for us here in the Driving Radio Show. It's all about Lyme disease. We're going to talk mostly about Lyme disease in people, but at the end, uh, Dr. Wendy's going to talk about Lyme disease in horses. And what we're focusing on is what's changed in the last five years for people and horses that uh, since the last time we did a Lyme disease episode on the Stable Scoop show, there's so much talk about Lyme disease in the horse world. And all horse people are exposed to it at some time or another. And we know all our horses are and our dogs are. So it's an important topic and it's going to be a, a very serious show today. Uh, and of course, it's one that's very near and dear to my heart being a, a 15-year chronic Lyme patient. So we're going to take a look at that today. We all know somebody with Lyme or has had it or you've had it or your horse has had it. So tune in today. This is Glenda Geek.
1: And I'm Wendy Ying, and you're listening to The Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network.
0: Well, we have a important show for you today, Wendy and I do, and it's been about five years since we did a serious episode on Lyme disease. And we did it over on the Stable Scoop show. It's still to this day one of our most downloaded episodes that we've ever done in the Horse Radio Network. And today we want to kind of get an update on what the changes have been in detection and treatment of Lyme disease and basically how Lyme disease is being looked at as far as legislature is concerned and the CDC and the whole thing. Uh, most of you know that uh, I have had chronic Lyme for about 15 years now, and do have flare-ups occasionally and have to take off shows. I had one two weeks ago, and uh, Jennifer had to fill in for me. So it's something that I've battled for a long time. And, you know, the CDC and the American Medical Association even deny that there is chronic Lyme, although... Uh, more and more states are legislating the fact that there is, so they get the insurance companies to pay for it. So we're going to talk a lot about that, too, and kind of get a general update. Why we're doing that about people is because Lyme disease is rampant in horse people, isn't it, Wendy?
1: Yes, it is, because we're always outside with our animals, horses and dogs and cats. And since Lyme disease is spread by ticks, you know, one bite from a tick, and you can be infected. And and horse people also don't take care of themselves, so they might let it just go untreated for a while, and then you get to the point where you're like, "What you're at, Glenn, Where you the Lyme's organism is now like hidden inside your body from your immune system,
0: making you sicker and sicker. Make, yeah, exactly. Which they think it had been two years from the time I had the bites we had ticks all the time you know
1: uh, Yeah, so you probably don't even remember no. being
0: bitten no and you know back then it was early days of uh lime and uh just lime awareness even it was just yeah. starting and it was early days and we think that i got it actually doing hay because w- when you do fresh hay we got ticks all the time
2: because oh, yeah. they're
0: just bailed with the hay and they just hang out in there till you put the hay up and then they're on you so, yeah. I mean, we used to get ticks all the time. And, you know, I can't count the number of ticks we took off. And deer ticks, a lot of times we never even saw them. They, you know, they just fall off eventually um, So because they're so tiny. And I think, and it was in Pennsylvania at the time, and, and you know, pe- central Pennsylvania was rampant with it. Uh, we didn't know a lot about it, but it was rampant with right. it. And then I just got sicker and sicker and sicker, ended up in the hospital. There was one year I was in the hospital probably 10 times. Um one time oh one time I lost complete use of the left side of my body it went completely numb and well that's
1: why I think a lot of times limes isn't isn't diagnosed because the people don't believe that it can cause those those signs, like, they don't believe it can cause neurologic uh, it, signs. It but if it's housed it in the lining yep. of your nerves and, and your nerves are inflamed, then that's what's going to happen.
0: And and the problem with Lyme is it, it can manifest itself in about a thousand different ways. And, yeah. and it mimics so many other diseases that that's what happened to me. I ended up getting every test for everything ever right. thought about. Um, I ended up going to every specialist. I did tests after test after test, and they couldn't nail down... Any one of those things, um, yeah. you know, so, you know, they tested me for muscular dystrophy and, and you know, yeah. all those different diseases that are neurological or not neurological and uh, back stuff. And, you know, there would be times your joints would ache so bad. One of the common things that people have with Lyme is they're chronically fatigued. And mm-hmm. of course, they come back with chronic fatigue syndrome, right? Well, right. which I think is sort of like you have irritable bowel syndrome. If they can't figure out what's wrong with your uh, yeah, with your digestive system, they just yeah. call it that, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do they call it? A rule out disease?
1: Well, it's because we don't have a test for it. So, if you rule out everything else, then
0: that's what it you is. Say, oh, right. you've
1: got chronic fatigue.
0: Fibromyalgia was another one. You know that it just. Just a ton of different things they tested for. And finally, because I guess I got ruled out that it was Lyme disease because they couldn't come up with anything else at that mm-hmm. point. And it just had all the symptoms. And, you know, now years later, the test, the, we're going to talk to Dorothy from the Lyme disease.org in a minute. But, you know, I want to find out back then the tests were totally unreliable. They still are not great, but they're mm-hmm. getting better. Uh, but they were unreliable to the point where, you know, it would miss most of the time.
1: But when you were infected, they didn't even test people for Lyme disease.
0: I finally made them do it.
1: I think we've had a test for animals way longer than we've been testing people.
0: I finally made them do it, but the test was so unreliable, it didn't matter. Um, Because there were so many, what do they call it? There's so many different strains of this disease. um, And there's so many different ticks and bugs and... Uh, different forms of the disease, that it it hides pretty well too. And, and then, you know, I guess it depends whether you're really flaring up, whether the tests will be more accurate or not. It's just, it's still a mess.
1: <laughs> well, that's another thing why I, I can't wait to talk to Dorothy today, because in animals, you know, it, well, it, when we treat uh, autoimmune diseases, because that's what this is, right? Yes, you're infected with Lyme's disease, but if you have these flare-ups because of your immune system. Right. So if we don't treat your immune system, you will keep having flare-ups because once you have it chronically, it's very difficult to get rid of. So I think people, to manage their own limes or to manage limes in, horse, in their horses or dogs, they need to understand how the immune system works and understand how to keep that healthy.
0: And for me, you know, the biggest thing that helped me with your help oh, through the years too was, is diet. I mean, that's the thing mm-hmm. I had to cut out all, all uh, gluten and all sugar, and that really helped. I don't get near right. the severity of flare-ups that I did before. I used to be but once- it's hard.
1: But it's hard for doctors to prescribe diet when you're a regular. Right. You know, when you're not, because because people don't want to hear that. They, There's like, no people, pill. They're like, where's my Lyme disease pill?
0: Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have done antibiotics for a year intravenously. Either be th- And yeah. I did that. I did oral antibiotics for a year, three weeks on, three yeah. weeks off for a year. And all that managed to do was make my stomach a mess. Um, well,
1: that's uh, like the, what they're really understanding now. And it's kind of getting more mainstream is that your gut microflora is part of your immune system. So being on chronic antibiotics, while I can understand the the theory of that it attacks your gut microflora so now it's decreasing your immune system because it's like giving you leaky gut syndrome and all this stuff from your food and the environments getting into your system and and causing your immune system to crash or be overloaded
0: and actually during that year was probably my worst and and I was I, so too. I was probably about 18 hours a day I slept and when Wasn't I was that
1: when we were in Kentucky
0: no I was in Massachusetts then and it was really, really bad up there. And then I was on the antibiotics, and I lost 60 pounds in a, in a year. And probably I
1: probably also had SADS because it's so cold up there.
0: <laughs> I never got to leave the house. So it really didn't, didn't matter. Know. I didn't drive for a year because I couldn't focus. I couldn't. There was one point when I drove there, I was going to the grocery store, which was literally a mile away when we lived in Massachusetts, and I could not get home. I couldn't remember how to get home. Uh, well that's
1: another thing about about neurologic disease like this um you know people can't see it from the outside right if right. like if you had a limp they could see you had a limp right but they can't see that you're having not you know emotional issues and also like you're confused you can't think because the this lyme is affecting your brain
0: now and you know so I, I think most of the audience probably new listeners don't know but you know if my co-hosts are all really good about covering like if i have a bad day when i'm on with wendy she'll just talk more and i'll i'll back off and i'll talk less <laughs> cuz sometimes i'll mix up my words and i'll put sentences in the wrong order or i just can't think what to say you just can't even mm-hmm. think what to say mm-hmm. um like 2 weeks ago when i when i took off the morning show you know, Jamie knows that, okay, it's a really bad day if I take off, because I really haven't missed that many considering. Um, right. but, and, but I just can't do it because I can't I can't think of questions. I can't think of answers. I can't think of anything. And in those days, I pretty much can't work. I just have to, you just lay around.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you should rest. That, yeah. That's the most important thing you can do to help your immune system is some days you need to rest.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's get Dorothy on uh, from Lymedisease.org and let's let's find out what's new. Is there hope? Are we getting better? You know, are, I know there's a lot more research being done now than it ever has in the past, and it's being taken more seriously than it ever has in the past. So let's find out what kind of progress we're making. And we'll get to Dorothy in just a second. If you're listening to this program, it's obvious that you love horses. And let's be honest, our older horses hold a really special place in our hearts. That's why we want to do everything we can to keep our old companions around as long as possible and living their best lives. Well, our friends at Purina get this. That's why they developed Purina Equine Senior Horse Feed with ActiveAge, a proprietary prebiotic proven through years of research to support a senior horse's aging immune system. Because when it comes to our horses, greatness never ages. To learn more, visit perinamills.com dot com backslash active age. That's perinamills.com dot com backslash active age. Well, hi Dorothy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So let's, it's been about five years since we did a full episode on Lyme disease and people. And, you know, we talked a lot back then. I told my story for the first time uh, coming out on the show. I felt like I was coming out, actually, to be honest, Um, you know, and letting the audience know what kind of neurological problems I had and all of that. And I know org. let's start there. What is org and what do you guys do?
2: Well, we're a patient advocacy organization and we educate the Lyme community. We educate the public at large. Uh, We're now uh, involved in a special research program Called My Lyme Data, which I hope we can talk about later.
0: I do too, because I want to hear uh,
2: it. <laughs> generally, we want to, you know, we we want to we want to help people not get Lyme disease in the first place, and if they do get it, get treated promptly, and uh, you know, things that that come out from that, and it it there's a lot of different there's a lot of different aspects to it and um, you know we try to we try to address it from the patient's point of view an awful lot of things um, seems strange but the patient's point of view is left out of a lot of scientific and medical discussions
0: when I discovered
2: and so we we try to bring that forward
0: when I was really really sick and I felt like there was no the doctors didn't know what they were doing they were testing for everything else no it was 15 years ago so you know it It's come a long way since then, uh, even in awareness. But back then, awareness wasn't great. I lived in Pennsylvania, where it was prevalent. uh, But nobody really knew much about it. And then when I found you guys, you know, when did you start?
2: 30 years ago.
0: Yeah. When I discovered you guys on the Internet, it was like, oh, somebody's on my side. Because I really felt, after fighting this for two years and being really sick and in a hospital, I felt like there was nobody on my side. You felt you get to feeling desperate and alone.
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, my personal story is that I got involved in this kind of work because about 12 years ago, my daughter, who was 13 at the time, became um, very ill, and we went to doctors that we thought would have that you know would be able to help us. And bottom line was they couldn't help us, and we were on our own. And an awful lot of people with Lyme disease are in that situation. They think they're alone. There's actually a, whole, a big group of them. Right. <laughs> you know, more than more hundred, more than three hundred thousand new ones every year, according to the CDC. And some estimates are much higher than that as well. So uh, that being able to to speak for patients and even you know when we got st- when my family got started on this journey, if you will. Uh, there was very little information out there. And even, you know, like I remember going to Amazon and there was hardly any books that even, you know, if you just said Lime, you know, hardly anything came up at all. Right. And so and there wasn't very much online. Well, the, well, even, the Internet was starting. the organization I'm
0: now part of yeah. didn't have a whole lot. Well, websites buy. were pretty rudimentary back then, too. They weren't like they are now. Um you know, it was a right. little different era, too, we were living in. And you're right, I couldn't find anything either. Um, but it was because of the Internet, after all the year of testing I went through with every specialist you could imagine, and just being in a hospital all the time, that I, uh, you know, that my wife went on and said, I think you have Lyme disease. And, and that's when we, we mentioned it to the family doctor, who then said, you know what, you could. And and finally it dawned on the family doctor too, and then he started treating it that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, then I started making progress over the next six months or so. What? Let's go back to what you said about prevention. I, and you, there is ways to prevent it. I think those ways may be a little tougher. We may have to alter them a little bit for horse people because we are outside everywhere all the time.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, first step absolutely is awareness because... People, um, you know, people. Now, I I live in California, and even though there is, yes, you can get Lyme disease in California, but the awareness of it is very low. And uh, often, people will, you know, get bitten by a tick and call the advice nurse of their health plan and be told, "Oh, you don't have to worry anything about it because there's there's no Lyme disease in California." you know, which isn't, you know, which isn't true, but it is widely um, believed. And so awareness, and there's some states, I mean, there's people, you know, Arkansas, according to the CDC has no cases of Lyme disease. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that actually have Lyme disease in Arkansas, (laughs) but it gets very, you know, it's very hard when you go to the doctor and they say, well, the CDC says there isn't any Lyme in Arkansas, so you can't have it. So, so just Awareness on a personal level, awareness on a societal level, awareness on the medical establishment level. And, you know, people travel. Uh, one of my first uh, people that I talked to when I was learning about Lyme disease from my daughter and everything was somebody that actually came from Pennsylvania. And she was got Lyme disease in Pennsylvania, was treated in Pennsylvania, it was CBC positive, moved to California, had a relapse, um, I don't know, a year later or something, went to the local doctor, and the doctor said, oh, well, you can't get Lyme disease in California. And she said, well, I didn't get it in California. I got it in <laughs> Pennsylvania. And he said, "Doesn't matter. There's no Lyme disease in California." Oh my God! So, uh, and, you know that. And I hear that. You know, the first time she told me that, I I thought, well, that that's a really strange thing for somebody to say. I hear that all the time from people now, all over all over the country. And so, even if you, you know, even if you live in a place where there isn't much Lyme disease. People travel, <laughs> and so you go someplace else, and you come back. You go to your local doctor. You know, it's like with uh, the things with the you know, a couple of years ago with Ebola and everything. If you traveled over there and came back, you know, there was this high concern that you might have something. But uh, somehow, uh, somehow, with Lyme disease, there there isn't that there isn't that perception. So a very important part of it is just, first of all, awareness. And then with awareness comes the resolution that each of us should have to protect ourselves from ticks. And so um, I must admit, I'm I'm not a horse rider, but I know plenty of them. And I know that they get out in areas where ticks hang out. And um, first of all, when we talk about Lyme disease, Lyme disease is the most common tick-borne disease, but there's a lot of other, t- you know, there's different kinds of ticks and they carry different kinds of diseases and you don't want any of them. <laughs> and <laughs> some ticks carry more than one and, you know, you can get, you can get co-infections. And so, so there are problems, um, you know, there are problems with that. So in terms of the kinds of thing that somebody can do to protect themselves, now I'm, I'm not a horse rider, but I am a hiker and I get pants that have been Pre-treated with a technique called Insect Shield. Uh, there's other There's other brands. That's that, that's a brand name. But um, you know, it's permethrin, and and it they're treated, and it will last. It'll be tick tick protective through 70 washes. And people have said privately that yeah, I think it lasts even longer than 70 washes. I have when I go hiking, I spray my boots. I have treated socks. I have treated pants. I have a treated shirt. I've treated bandana around my neck and I have a treated hat. And so when you have that way, you're not putting, you're not putting the repellent on your skin. It's, it's covering your skin, but it's, a te- you know, it's, it's bonded with the fabric. And, uh, and so you are, and, and tests have shown that that is, is very protective for people that are outdoors a lot. There have been studies with like uh, forestry workers and, and uh, you know, different groups like that. And uh, permethrin-treated clothing is, is shown to be very protective. And so I, that's just, you know, uh, it's kind of a joke with my kids. My kids are both in their 20s now, but pretty much every holiday season, they get Something that's treated for with permission from <laughs> mom. <laughs> Shirt, pants, socks, you know, what's it going to be this year? <laughs> and uh, so, and then, but you still have, you know, you don't have clothing all over your body. So your face presumably doesn't have anything on it. Your hands doesn't, doesn't have anything, isn't covered. So then I recommend, and, and other people recommend, um, uh, putting uh, you know insect repellent on the part that is exposed but my way of doing it is to try to have as little exposed as possible and of course it's problematic when the weather's hot but um, so so those are protective measures that that people that are out riding horses in tick habitat should really be if, if you're if the clothes that you wear to ride are already treated, then you don't even have to think about that part of it. You just, you just get dressed and you're, and you know, you're protected. Beyond that, it's important to check yourself for ticks. And so when you get, um, you know, when you get home, you then take those clothes off, put them in the dryer for 10 minutes, not the washer, put them in the dryer for 10 minutes. If there are uh, any clothing that you have, uh, you know, that, that has been, outside and might potentially have have ticks on it uh i don't want shower. to put my
0: poop covered clothing in the dryer
2: well um I, your I horse,
0: poop. Been, you horse poop my horse poop, poop yeah. covered clothing is what i you know just to clarify yeah yeah,
2: yeah. well then 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 i you probably yeah i'll grant you that i'll grant you that one, you that one. Uh, you need a barn washer but,
0: yeah that's right
2: yeah yeah so um but in terms of uh, you then take a shower. And if there are any ticks on you that are not attached, the shower would wash them away. But the shower is also a really good opportunity to check yourself. Soap up your hands and just, you know, rub your hands all over everything and, and fig- you know, see if you feel anything. You know, if you've got soap on your hands, you'll feel a little bump that's, that's an embedded tick that, that might not, you know, otherwise you might not notice it. And and really just you know check check your whole body, and then many people when they're outdoors they have a dog with them or in the in the neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, dogs can certainly pick up um, ticks and can bring them into the house, and and so you know that's something that you have to be careful about. So those are things that people. I would think people that ride horses should do those perhaps even more than other people, right. <laughs> but I think anyone who is outdoors a lot, you know, it's amazing when we, when I first started reading about this, they would often talk about Lyme disease as being a recreational issue. Oh, people are hiking, they're camping, they're riding horses. And that's true. That does get you outside, but there's an awful lot of people that their job is to be outside. They're a park ranger, they're a maintenance worker that does stuff outside, they're a surveyor, they are, you know, laying lines for the utility company, they're firefighters. I mean, there's just an astonishing amount of jobs where it isn't that isn't recreation. That's that's every day and you're out there and really it behooves everybody to protect themselves.
0: So what... So I'm going to ask a question I asked five years ago um, when we talked about this last. And I just looked it up. It was exactly five years ago. So Mm -hmm. what... Why? And I asked this question back then, and I don't know that we had a good answer. The American medical the medical community did not acknowledge chronic Lyme, meaning that you go in, you you you're tested or whatever, and we think you have Lyme disease, and we treat you with three weeks of antibiotics, and it goes away, and you're fine, and you're all good, and or you're like me who had it for two years before they ever figured it out, and uh, three weeks of antibiotics really didn't do anything, and. The medical community has always said they don't believe there is such a thing as chronic Lyme. Are we still in that belief, or are, is that changing? I know there's even been states that have passed legislation demanding that they acknowledge it. So where are we at with that?
2: Well, it's, it's complicated. There's, uh, there's, there still is um, the, the Infectious Diseases Society of America is is a private group that has... of of doctors and researchers, and they have treatment guidelines for many diseases, including Lyme disease. And uh, part of that has always been uh, for for a variety of complex uh, political reasons and and people that have financial dealings and uh, conflicts of interest there has there the, the IDSA has always maintained that there is no such thing as chronic Lyme and that basically from okay I'm going to translate you know, that for
0: everybody insurance companies okay go ahead well I can say it you can't that's
2: part of it <laughs> that's part of the, that's part of the question but for many many years the, the CDC has just accepted the um, the IDSA's view of things and so they would just put it on their website you know, they would have a link to the IDSA guidelines on the website and say, you know, there's no such thing as chronic Lyme and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the politics of the situation is changing a bit. And the CDC actually removed the uh, overt reference to, this, to the IDSA guidelines. They, they no longer mention the IDSA guidelines, but they, in fact, link to a National Institute of Health website that basically says the same stuff as the IDSA guidelines. (laughs) So I I wrote a blog about that, and the the headline I put on it was lipstick on a pig, (laughs) question (laughs) mark. So it was like, you know, it seemed to me like they were... you know, kind of dressing things up, but they weren't really changing it. There is something going on now, which is which is a change from how things have been. Uh, at the end of twenty sixteen, you may remember the Twenty First Century Cures Act was passed by Congress and signed by President Obama, and it had things for all different kinds of diseases. And it, there was, there was, there were kind of it was just this big bill that dealt with all of these different things that uh, different different kind you know there was cancer you know different different kinds of things, and there was language in there that was related to Lyme disease, which the Lyme community fought hard to get, which was that the Health and Human Services Division would would have a. a um, uh, commission, a committee that that would be uh, people from all sides of the Lyme controversy, and they would, would get together and they would talk. And so with the idea being what should the government position be related to not just Lyme, but tick-borne, all tick-borne diseases. And so that actually passed. And was convened in for the first time last December. And there were 12, uh, I believe it's 12, members of the committee. Um, some of them are IDSA. Some of them are patient representatives. Some of them are doctors. Dr. Horowitz, who's a prominent, um, you know, Lyme uh, ILADS doctor. I guess we maybe they don't know what ILADS is, but basically it's the Lyme doctors that do uh, acknowledge chronic Lyme. And uh, so, so there were, there's 12 members on that committee, and then they have uh, subcommittees, I guess it's 14 members of the committee. And then there's uh, seven subcommittees. And then there's two members of the main committee are on each subcommittee. And then there's other people on the subcommittees from a variety of, of um, perspectives, including patient representatives. And this is the first time that there have ever been patient representatives, true patient representatives on anything having to do with Lyme disease on the national level. You know, there've been committees for things for AIDS and you have age patient representatives and breast cancer and all of that. But that was always a sticking point, that somehow we could never have that for the Lyme community. So not everybody on the committee agrees with each other. <laughs> so, but the idea is to have these conversations and research and discuss this and come forward with recommendations. And so that is uh, interesting. Well, it's interesting to see what will develop from that.
0: You throw out research when you know when your daughter got it and I got it. There was none, uh, very little, and but I think we have increased on on the amount of people doing research on it. Correct.
2: Well, interesting. You should bring that up. Uh, you know that the NIH has uh, fun. There's different aspects of Lyme disease. I mean, when you say research on Lyme disease, you know, some people are trying to get a vaccine and some people are trying to do this. Some people are trying to do that. In terms of trying to get better treatments, figure out what works to to help sick people feel better. There have been exactly three studies that were Funded by the NIH, and the NIH is the major funding for this funder for this sort of thing. There have been three studies. The most recent one was more than fifteen years ago, and the the biggest study was 129 people. <laughs> so, uh, based on that, they're saying, "Oh, we know everything there is to know about chronic Lyme and what what works." Actually, they didn't know what works. They just said what didn't work. They said, "You know, whatever you do, don't." Don't give them antibiotics, <laughs> and then you don't get anything else. So one of the things I mentioned, in My Lyme Data, earlier uh, in 2015, uh, my organization, LymeDisease.org, launched a patient registry called My Lyme Data. And what it is is that people sign up. People that have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Some of them have only had it a short time. Some have had a long time. You know, you, there can be all different kinds of, of symptoms. People people sign up, and they um, there's privacy, you know, controls I did. and all that.
0: But oh, did you? <laughs> yes, oh, I did. Excellent, yep.
2: excellent. Well, we now have more than ten thousand people signed up for it, and they give information how long they've been sick. Not everybody knows that they were bitten by a tick when, and and but if they know when and where they were bitten by a tick. Um, what, if they have any co-infections, what their symptoms have been, what the treatment has been, if it helped, if it didn't help. And so that is 10,000 people compared to 129. And then, you know, some people, their, their treat, you know, their, their main symptom is, is that they have, um, heart problems and somebody else's main symptom is that they have arthritis. And and so to just say, we're going to look at these 129 people and see what they have, it's just too small a sample. And so when you have 10,000 people, and then you can start getting them into different groups now, and say, go ahead. Well, I go was going to
0: say, have you, do we have, now you got me all excited here. So um, do we? <laughs> or do we have any results yet or is that coming out soon?
2: Well, we do have, uh, you know, we do have some results. Uh, there is there is going to be more results that are that will be announced at our conference. We're we're, we're having a, it's our second Mylan Data Conference. Uh, it's going to be in the Bay Area, in Northern California, uh, on April seventh. And so Lorraine Johnson, who's the head of, of disease dot org, and she's the principal investigator for the Mylan Data Project, she will be. Um, putting forth uh, what the new what the new information is and I think that uh, i I haven't seen it <laughs> I said can you give me a hint and she said that there was going to be um, a lot of things related to pain to to what people's experience of pain was and what you know, what helped I, and what didn't you know, and we, that we, kind of thing.
0: So we talked about this before the before the show too, and that's hard to quantify too, because when I get my flare-ups, every single time I have different things. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how mm-hmm. many times I've gone to the doctor for heart or for whatever and it's not been they they say it's not anything. And then I go home and I go, Oh, it was my Lyme acting up, but I've never had that one before. Uh, but then, what right. happens is, as soon as I get through that, whatever that new thing is, the the common for me, it's neurological, the common things come into play and I go, oh, I'm having a flare-up, but I didn't, I, you know, it wasn't the first, the common things that I usually get weren't the first things that manifested that time. So Life. I've been very careful now to go, okay, is this Lyme? And am I seeing some of the other symptoms that I normally get along with this? And I don't usually, mine's neurological, I don't usually get the joint pain, but I had it terribly the last time. And I don't you know, I don't usually get that. So the hard part about Lyme is, and you know, it, and this is this way in horses too, right, Wendy? It it just manifests itself in so many different ways in the same patient. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: the same patient and and different patients. So I, I used to um, run a Lyme support group in Sacramento, and there would be people that had perhaps you know been sick about the same amount of time, and yet they might have very different Uh, symptoms from each other. And so that's one of the reasons that can make it, you know, uh, so hard to diagnose in the first place and then so hard to treat because it manifests itself so
0: differently. Well, we have one of our listeners out there. I won't mention her name. Uh, I think, you know, most of our auto group knows who she is who has had a heck of a time with it over the last year. And she finally went out and found a Lyme literate doctor, which brings us to that conversation. Are doctors still getting in trouble for treating this as a real thing? Some of them are. Isn't that some sad? We're five years down the road and we're still there.
2: Yeah, there, there are. You mentioned uh, that there, there are some states that uh, have have passed laws. I think New York was one have of them. Made didn't? it. Yeah, I. You know, I. I just, I don't remember the states yeah, offhand, but did. there's there's a handful of them that have done you know, doctor protection bills that supposedly that, that protects the doctors if they treat, if they treat Lyme disease. But there are, there are other ways messing things up rather than just going after the doctor's license. It can also, you mentioned insurance, you know, sometimes insurance, you know, companies, um, you know, can go after doctors and, it's just it's really a complex it's really a complex, multi-faceted problem. But a lot of these uh, one thing that that I think is is a really bright spot on the on the horizon is that we are starting to get better, more effective tests.
0: That's my question. Next so the question. longest
2: t- part of the problem was is that many people that had all of the symptoms of Lyme disease would not test positive on a Lyme test and part of that was well it was really a deficiency of the test and yet if you can't you know if you if if you can't get a diagnosis without without a positive test then everything stops for you and you know your your insurance sure isn't going to pay for anything they say you don't even have it and so there there is a lot of headway that has been in the in the whole realm of testing. And this is another thing that's going to be discussed at this conference that we're gonna have on April seventh. And I would say I assume you have listeners all over the country. Yeah, we do uh,
0: all even over the if world. If you're
2: not in <laughs> even if you're not in a position to come, you know, if you're not in Northern California, you can't come to our our conference. We are going to be um, videotaping the presentations, and they will be made available in the future. So, um, well, that, you, you know, you one just, of the present
0: you it, just made a good one point of there. the
2: presentations is yeah. going to be about testing.
0: Good, yeah. because, I, you know, that's something that always has been a problem. Um, and and mine, I never, in, in those days, I never tested positive for it. It was just they ruled out everything in the world else that I had tests for. Right. And uh, that's how we came to that conclusion. Last time we talked about Lyme disease, you know, I wanted to point that out. This is not a United States problem. Last time we talked about Lyme disease, I had, I had several people from the U.K. contact me. Who were going through it, and it was even worse over there because they were even less aware of it. So, it- it's a
2: worldwide problem, it's not just, it's definitely not the, just the US and or even UK. And uh, there's a lot of it throughout Europe, there's a lot of it in Australia. Australia has some special problems, it may not be. Precisely what we call Lyme disease. It might, you know, they may have a little different variation of something, but part of the problem for a lot of people in other countries, non-U.S. countries, is that these other countries, many of them, use the CDC and the IDSA recommendations for things. So, uh, so people are told. The same things as that they're told in in the U.S. is that, oh, well, you know, you can't, you know, there's no Lyme around here. You don't have it. You didn't particularly if you test, you know, you don't test positive on the test. That's really a crummy test. And it's like, oops, you don't have it. Yeah. And so a uh, lot of people in the U.K., we, we hear from a lot of people in the U.K., and there are advocacy organizations in the U.K. that are trying trying to help There are, there's groups in France, there's groups in Germany, uh, there's, you know, there's, there's Lyme really all Lyme or and or other tick borne diseases in, in, you know, throughout Europe. And part of the problem is that uh, the testing in the US, the testing has generally been for one strain that you're most likely to get in New York state. And so if you're in California or Arkansas or, or other places, <laughs> yeah, Florida, gee, gee, you don't have it. Well, also what was happening, there were people that were going over to Europe and getting bitten by a European bug and coming back here uh-huh. and, 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 the, and the, the the testing here wouldn't pick up European bugs. And so a lot of the new testing, Igenix has a new test out, an immunoblot test, and it is supposed to be much more uh, sensitive in terms of picking up a variety of strains, including European strains. There are some other tests that are almost on the market. You know, they're kind of in the last stages of what you have to do before you can put them out there. But many of them are, uh, they're just a different kind of testing and they do DNA and that sort of thing. And so some of them, uh, there's a number of them that are, are very intriguing to me where you can give one sample of blood and it can be, they can identify like a hundred different things potentially Hmm. so you don't have to it's like now if you want to have a Lyme test okay we've got this blood and we're going to test it for Lyme and then maybe later you're going to test it for Babesia maybe later you're going to test it for something else well these others you don't have to know going in what it is it's that you test it and it shows up what these things are and I think that would be uh extremely beneficial for anybody hey. that, that uh, potentially has a tick-borne disease.
0: Before we run out of time, I want to get to some of the questions we had from our listeners. Wendy, um, you have the list there. You pick out the ones you think uh, are relevant and really important here to get answered. You want to ask those?
1: Yeah, I guess one of the questions is someone lives in a high-risk area, and they've had it, their dogs have had it, and they're scared about... You know, their horse is getting it, and they want to know if they should be re- routinely tested, and if so, at what interval. Do they do routine testing in in people, or just when you have symptoms?
2: Uh, they tend not to do uh routine testing in people. I mean, it, 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 it tends to be more, you know, that you think you have it, and so you're mm-hmm. going to test yeah. for it. because
0: again, And even then it's like you have the to convince them. Like, well. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Then because in, some, yeah. Because in in vet medicine, we have a test that we run. It, it's, you know it's a screening test, so it's the Elisa. But mm-hmm. you know, dogs get their blood drawn every year to test for heartworm, which is a very accurate and uh, a very accurate test. But there's also a, a limes uh, and anaplasmosis in with that test. So there are many dogs that get tested every year, screening wise. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why they're asking if they thought yeah, people
0: maybe. do that yeah. too. No, you have to convince you know, your doctor I, to test you even with symptoms. <laughs> it's like
2: it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, that just reminds me about the the dog testing. I Idex is the company that makes the the dog uh, test kits mm-hmm. and they have a uh, a great website called uh dogsandticks.com and you can go it's not just Lyme, it's it's uh, you know, a variety of things. I think they also have uh heartworm on there where you can go and like click on your state and then you can click on your county and it will tell you how many cases of whatever you're looking for, Lyme or whatever, have been, you know, showing up in dogs in your county. Right. And uh, and so that's one of those things that, you know, even though, you know, people don't get uh, Lyme in Arkansas, we're told, a lot of dogs do.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what does and, that tell you? Yeah. You know exactly. What I mean yeah. The Arkansas ticks only so, like dogs, apparently. Yeah. 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 Here's a good one. If, yeah, uh, well, if you get bit by a tick and get the red uh, red splotch um, with the red ring, does it mean you have Lyme?
2: Well, <clears throat> generally, that's considered yes. <laughs> yes, you do.
0: Uh,
2: there are other things that. Can cause that kind of a, of a, of a, you know, of a pattern, and so they might want to rule off, a, you know, a few other things. But if you know there was a tick bite and there was a red ring around it, yes, that means you have Lyme disease.
0: Go get your, go to the doctor, like now. Yeah. 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 That's the rule there. Take a picture of it. Yeah. Take a picture of <laughs> yeah, because it, it does sometimes. go away after. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. It does start to go away. So you do want to get a picture, especially with doctors today, you might not get in for a week. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So definitely do that. You know, Rosie asked a question, and, and she's been fighting this for a long time. And this is an interesting question I don't know that we can answer. Uh, do you have a good lime kit? And I asked her, what's a lime kit? And she said, when it gets bad for a small length of time, do you have something you go to? Like she says, I do some yoga. I also drink more water. I make sure I take warm showers. And what she, I think what she's talking to about is when you have a flare-up, is there something you can do? She said Benadryl's helped her. Is there something you can do to help alleviate the symptoms? in a short term and i'll tell you what i do and wendy doesn't always agree with this but um i do five-hour energy drink if i'm having a medium bad neurological day and i can't think quite right for some reason the five-hour energy drink helps me think better uh if it's really bad nothing helps but um so i think you know i don't know that we can answer that question rosie but i know that everybody with lyme wants that answer right
2: yes everyone <laughs> wants that answer and I would say um, a couple of things that that it's good that she's finding out things that help her, and that uh, and that you have found things that help you. And that is the value of connecting with other people that are in a similar situation. And that's one of the things that Myline data does in terms of connecting, you know what what things have helped people, but also, I used to to help run a a support group, and that's the kind of thing where people can, you know, say, gee, I'm in this situation, what helps? And somebody will say, this will help me. And, like, uh, for a lot of people, they're feeling, uh, they feel better if they take Epsom salt baths. Now, some people say, oh, I take those and I feel worse. So, I mean, it's not like that's the go-to thing for everybody. But if you hear things from other people and they say, you know, it really helps me when I take an Epsom salt bath and then I do, um, you know, yoga or (laughs) whatever, you know, then you can, you can figure out for, you know, you think, well, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to see if it works. And even if you don't have a uh, a support group in, in close to you that you can go to or someplace Sometimes even somebody has it close to them, but they just can't get out of the house. They're too sick. There are a lot of online support groups, and a lot of them on Facebook, and some of them are uh, some of them Yahoo and other things. Some of them are specific to a geographic area. Um, the Sacramento group, I no longer um, facilitate it, but it, the group has continued, and they also have a Facebook group. And that's a way that somebody can say, hey, I've been having this issue. And somebody will say, well, this is what helped me. Somebody else said, oh, and I tried this. And somebody else said, oh, I tried that and it was terrible. <laughs> so you get that kind of feedback from other people. And that's, at this stage of the game, I've, I've often said, you know, line is a real do-it-yourself uh, kind of project. You know, you have to figure out what helps you? You have to do your own research and, and, and you know, find, find things that help. Something that I'm just throwing out there that I hear from a lot of people more and more that various uh, forms of medical marijuana uh, help relieve. I have read symptoms. a lot about that, and, actually.
0: That is true. I've, I've read and, a lot about that.
2: And CBD oil. Is I haven't tried that marijuana. yet,
0: Wendy. I have to go there. I have you to try to. that next.
2: Well, CBD oil doesn't have the hallucinogenic quality to it, which you know some people don't want anything to do with that, and so uh,
0: I already feel like I have that
2: personal (laughs) experience with it. But I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of people. Really, a lot of people. In fact. I think the MyLine data thing is going to include um, some feedback about medical marijuana this time at the, at the conference. Uh,
0: well, Wendy, and that leads so, us to um, you. Let, let's go to Wendy here because... Um, okay. Go ahead, Wendy. Just to, uh, do, you,
1: um, do you guys embrace any of the traditional Chinese medicine treatments like acupuncture, herbal formulas, medical mushrooms?
2: There are a lot of people that report uh, good, good effects with that. We do not tell anybody what they ought to do for treatment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not what we do. We say, right. you, know, that's, you know, you've got to figure that out between you and your doctor. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of alternative treatments that people report on my lung data that they have, been, that they have found useful. And I mm-hmm. have personally talked to people who have been helped. By um, Chinese medicine, different different aspects of it. A number of years ago, there was uh, a doctor that that came out with. A, I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of the book, but it was it was like Chinese herbs for Lyme disease, or that was the thought. If that's not maybe mm-hmm. the exact title, and I know a lot of people who have found that to be very helpful. I get a lot of feedback from people that acupuncture helps. Again, it depends. It depends on the symptom and, you know, and it depends on the individual. And there are people in, in support groups, uh, meetings that I've been to that say, oh my gosh, I just, you know, I, I go to, you know, I go to an acupuncturist, you know, regularly and I always feel better after, after the treatment. There's other people that say they did it and, you know, it didn't seem to help. And mm-hmm. I would say that's true of about everything I've ever heard of, including antibiotics. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> somebody says it helps and somebody else says it doesn't. And part of it is is that, you know, the crazy thing about Lyme disease is is that it can have, as we said earlier, it can affect people in so many different ways. And so if some and and there seem to be so many different strains and different you know, different co infections and stuff. So, I mean, I've got to believe that that has an effect on whether a certain thing is helpful or not. You know, it depends on exactly what it is that's wrong. And, and,
0: and, and you
2: know, what, what part of, what part of the body it's affected. And
0: that takes us full circle back to the first thing you said is this is all very complicated. So, (laughs) we have to cut off there. We're going to actually continue the conversation a little bit with Dr. Wendy on uh, Lyme disease and horses. So, hang around for that. But we wanted to thank Dorothy for spending so much time with us today. Lymedisease.org. I get your newsletter. Where can people get that?
2: Go to the website, lymedisease.org, and there's a little place that says sign up for our newsletter, and you put your email address in there, and then you're
0: on the list. If you if you have Lyme disease or if you uh, know anybody that does, you should get the newsletter. I've gotten more good information out of that than almost anything I've ever done and research I've ever done with Lyme disease. I read it every time. So... Thank you so much for that. The website is full of information as well. Definitely take a look at that. Go into the research uh, segment or, or any of the different, the blog and all the different stuff that's on there. There's a thousand different things on there. So definitely check that out as well. And the conference, if you're interested, is My Lyme Data 2018 conference in San Ramon, California, April the 7th. And there's information on lymedisease.org. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And before we chat about... Lime and Horses, Wendy. I wanted to talk a little bit about our friends at the American Driving Society who have supported this show since day one, six years ago. There's a ton of member benefits that you get by being a member of the American Driving Society. They include a subscription to the great magazine, The Whip, which features all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. Also, all the news from the ADS delivered right into your inbox in email blasts. You'll receive their digital newsletter called The Wheel Horse. Online access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers like me. Uh, you also get online access to the Omnibus, which of course is about all the competitions coming up. You'll also be eligible for all the recognition programs, including the Youth Championships, Hours to Drive, along with all the new ADS Driven Dressage Awards, online access to the Membership Directory and ADS Educational Materials, and you'll be eligible to participate in the North American CDE Intermediate Calculated Championships and the North American Intermediate and Preliminary Championships. You can do all of that by visiting americandrivingsociety.org and becoming a member. It's simple and it's easy and it's well worth it at americandrivingsociety.org. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know how I feel right now to be honest with you Wendy. I kind of feel like We've made a teeny weeny bit of progress, but we have all the same problems that we had five years ago. Yeah, we have the well, problems, and the doctors don't want to recognize it. Insurance companies don't want to pay for it. Nobody wants to fight the insurance companies. The Amer the the CDC and the infectious people still say chronic Lyme doesn't exist, even though we have we have millions of people out there with it. Uh, it's just frustrating. I'm sorry. I'm just. <laughs>
1: Huh. No, but you should be frustrated. But that's how it is with many, many diseases because sometimes, I mean, the body is a complex system. So sometimes we don't have a test and we may never have a test for the disease. But um, this kind of reminds me of something that Dr. Shea said the last time I saw him and his brother- Of the brother, uh, Chi Institute? Of the Chi Institute, my master. Your mentor. Uh, yeah. My mentor, he's the father of- TCVM in the United States, but his brother is an engineer and his brother always gives him crap about acupuncture. He's like, well, you can't prove that you're doing anything and you can't prove that there's chi and blah, blah, blah. And Dr. Shea said to him, he says, I don't need to prove that there's chi. I'm a doctor. I am going to make my patients better. You're an engineer. You should come up with something to measure chi. That's not my job. <laughs> And I thought that was a really great way to look at it. I, I am not, uh, you know, I, yes, it'd be nice if we had a diagnosis, but veterinarians don't make the tests. Scientists. You're not make a the
0: research uh, doctor. Yeah, right, right, right.
1: So I see the patient and I treat what I see. And maybe I have a diagnosis of Lyme. That would be great if we had a diagnosis for everything I treat, right? But like the number one thing that horse vets treat is ADR. You know what ADR is? Kind? No.
0: Attention deficit disorder? Ain't doing disorder. right. No,
1: ain't doing right. <laughs> oh. They, they call you and they go, well, doc, I don't know. He just ain't doing right. That's our number one call, low-level performance issues.
0: Right. Right? Right.
1: I mean, unless they have a huge gash on the side of their leg or right. something, you know, something. It but, just ain't, oh, he
0: isn't right.
1: <laughs> and I know the people listening here are saying the same thing. There are times when they like lay awake at night because their horse isn't doing right and we don't have a diagnosis. Well, you know
0: what? You know when you're, you're. every person has gone through that with themselves. I'm just not right. Yeah. I just don't feel right. You don't know what, it, you, you, you can't nail any one thing. You just don't feel right.
1: Right. And yeah. so you know what you do a lot of times? You take the day off and you take a nap. You rest, have some soup, maybe right. some vitamin C. So what you're doing is you're resting your body and you're allowing your body To fight whatever your problem is, whether that's Lyme's disease or, you know, you get a stiff neck because you slept on the wrong pillow or what, you know, it could be a million things, but sometimes you need to rest and you need to let your body figure it out.
0: Well, we've talked about Lyme disease and horses before, so I want to take it from the angle that we took it with Dorothy. Has there been mm-hmm. changes? Has it improved? Where are we at in the last five years yeah. when it comes to horses? We've had a, we have a couple of our even auditors who are super fans who've had horses with terrible chronic Lyme issues. I mean, yeah. uh, terrible ones, and yeah. you know it's been years and th- tens of thousands of dollars in treatments. And yeah. so, where are we at with that testing? Well, and we do have
1: the screen test that we can do uh the the test i talked about the eliza you can do that we have the test at cornell that is, that does the um the test and you can tell if they've been vaccinated or if they're in acute stage or chronic stage so that's only the only real test we have uh for limes now so it's not much of a difference um one of the new interesting um things about Lyme's disease coming forward in horses that we don't have in people is that um, many horses are infected with both lymes and EPM. So, hmm. you know, e- EPM can act a lot like lymes in that the horses, I mean, lots of horses are infected with EPM, but only a few have symptoms of, e- of EPM, right? So wh- why is this disease recrudescing? So, maybe being infected with both Lyme's and EPM, maybe the, there's like, you know, a lot of horses with EPM, and then they get infected with limes, and then it makes their EPM recruit So, that's a new uh, kind of interesting spin on Lyme's and EPM. Also, I know when I was living in Virginia, there were people that were sometimes vaccinating with the dog vaccine, which, you know, there's two schools of thought about that, as some people you know, they want the horse to be protected. And I, I can totally understand that if you're in a high risk zone, but then there's some research that, that says that maybe, uh, if you're in a high risk area, you're infected with limes and it's hiding and then you vaccinate them and then it causes the, the limes to recrudesce. Mm. So, um, in a lot of ways, uh, cases like Lyme's disease, which I did have uh, a horse before I did TCVM. My own horse uh, had Lyme's, and I had to retire him from the limes because I treated him, treated him, and he never got better. He was super sore, like just to have the harness on him. He couldn't pull the carriage anymore. Um, and one of the things I love about Chinese medicine is that, okay, I either... I mean, I treat what I see, right? So if I have a Lyme disease diagnosis or I don't, I'm treating what I usually see in horses that I suspect have Lyme disease. They have, you know, uh, performance issues. They, They are not performing at the level that they were they have shifting limb lameness that's pretty common usually their whole body sore when i do my acupuncture scan they're sore all over their whole body they hurt everywhere they can also have behavior changes like you know how sometimes you were saying how you were at the grocery store and you're like confused and you can't get home right like your horse can't tell you that that he's confused but maybe you're he, he doesn't you know he's confused about something and that would be scary if you didn't know what was happening because I'm sure you were scared when you were like, I don't know how to get home. So behavior change is something that we see both in limes and EPM. So like treating it, there are people that are using um, the cannabis oil. That does help. Also, the theory in Chinese medicine, what we think about Lyme and and all disease, right? Your immune system, right, is like why don't I have chronic Lyme's, even though I've probably been exposed, but you have chronic Lyme's. Right. It's due to, like maybe I have Lyme's organisms living inside me, but I'm not showing the symptoms. And that could be because my immune system is different from your immune system. You know, so so if your immune system is strong enough, maybe it can fight off the bacteria when you're first infected, or if it tries to recrudesce from your nerves. So the... The basis that we do to treat Lyme disease in horses is to tonify their immune system. We call it the zang chi, right? It's part of your chi, so you have to help their qi. and then you have to get rid of the pain because you have lots of joint aches and pains, body pains, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we do that with um, and some we do that with acupuncture and herbs. Sometimes I cannot needle horses with limes because they're too painful so then i do laser or they can you can do massage um but then we'll do uh, herbal formulas the the herbal formula that dr shea made specifically for limes is actually really interesting it's based on a formula they use in china when they had the sars outbreak remember that yeah that was big yeah so it's a it's an immune booster because the SARS was a virus. So you can't, there's no, you have to boost the immune system to kill a virus. And then the other part of the formula is a lot of the herbs that we use to treat arthritis. So we're treating the pain in the body and then we're boosting the immune system. So uh, you can also do that with food therapy, like a lot of what you're doing. So studies have shown that, Oh, my, and my dad was like huge about this. He he was huge about vitamin C. Like whenever we were sick, we had to take tons of vitamin C. And he's like, you know, Linus Pauling can't be wrong. Linus Pauling believes in vitamin C. So I'm like, well, Linus Pauling didn't get famous for his vitamin C work. But either way, my dad loved taking vitamin C. And Vitamin C is great because it's an antioxidant, but also it, it isn't that what helps. they
0: use in in what's that called? Um, vitamin C is what they use, and all of those. Not don't, you won't get the cold. Uh, you know chewables. Yeah. That they sell millions yeah. of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, like but huge quantities C... of
0: it that will really mess up your stomach if you take it too many days in oh, a row. Oh yeah,
1: this is what my dad used to always say. Whenever we were starting to get sick, we had to take vitamin C until we got diarrhea, and then we could stop. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but, but once again, he's not a doctor. He was an engineer. So I probably <laughs> yeah, shouldn't have been looking do it. But the other good thing about vitamin C is it protects collagen. So mm. it helps your joints. So that's why vitamin C is actually pretty good. Um, and then there's all different kind of things you can do. Of course, omega-3 fatty acids. I say that all the time. You're probably sick of, me hearing, of hearing me say that. But one of the things I really like, to use in cases of like EPM lymes, chronic disease is, um, a medical mushroom powder. And a lot of my herbal formulas have mu- mushroom powder in them, but m- medical mushroom powder is really easy to get, um, uh, at health food stores, or we have a guy at our local farmer's market called the Fungi. guy. <laughs> 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 I love his booth. And, um, he makes a mushroom powder that you can just put in uh, hot water. And Am I going to uh, feel really
0: mushrooms. good after this mushroom powder?
1: It's not It's not that kind of mushroom oh, powder. Okay. Got it. It's mushrooms that you eat.
0: Oh, okay. But, oh, okay.
1: but before you can... <laughs> and I don't you, like
0: mushrooms, so I think powder is going to be the only way I'm getting them in.
1: Yeah, so if you don't like mushrooms. But <laughs> mushrooms, eat, I mean, mushrooms are great for you. But before, you could only find this mushroom powder in the Chinese, uh, like, in Chinese stores. But now mushroom powder is like mainstream. Mm you know and it's affordable and it's a great way to boost your immune system so
0: so so i mean let's try and bottom line it here a little bit we have uh it- if you have Lyme disease and it's, you don't think you're getting better, obviously finding a Lyme literate doctor, which you can go to lymedisease.org and find links for that too, or just mm-hmm. search for Lyme literate doctor in your area. Uh, they're sometimes hard to find, and you can count on your insurance company not paying for it, um, which has been part of the big problem. Is that this will cost people thousands of dollars a month in treatments, and you know, and a lot of these. Lime literate doctors will ask for an upfront and things like that, so people go untreated. I mean, it's a cycle. It's what she said. It's so very complicated because it's all a catch twenty two. Right. It, it all is. I mean, it, and it's it, there's, there, but the problem is there's not one catch twenty two. There's fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty catch twenty twos by the time you're done. And it, it's that's also why it's so darn frustrating.
1: Well, you know, and that's why I really like Chinese medicine. Because in the past, like I said, I would need to have a diagnosis and then give you a pill for what I found, right? But if like you're suffering from chronic pain, it's undiagnosed, you feel tired all the time, you feel depressed and sick, you need to tonify your chi, right? Boost your immune system and you need to get rid of the pain. So you, you could boil it down to those two things, even if you can't find a diagnosis, which finding a diagnosis is key. I mean, that would be great if you could do it. I'm not saying abandon that pursuit. But I think taking those two steps on the way to a diagnosis can really help. And that's what you've done to treat yourself. You know, well, you get
0: rest, I, you, I do want to mention you, that too, uh, what I'm mm-hmm. doing to treat myself is, and what has made me get Would you say
1: 80% better since you met me? I think you're, oh my God, I think you're way, way better. Because even when we were still in Kentucky, you Uh, had a lot more bad days. I don't remember you having a bad day for like a whole year.
0: Yeah. And it's because I started on a diet really is what did it for me. And by the way, on this particular diet, you're going to lose a lot of weight too. So if you you have that as a goal, you'll be good. (laughs) Um, Jennifer went on the same diet, uh, my wife, uh, about Mm – Five months ago and is down 30 pounds. So,
1: oh my God, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, you won't
0: recognize her. She's, she's half, she's a quarter of the person she was. I mean, she, she looks amazing. So, And mine, you know, there are all kinds of lime diets. You can find the books on Amazon. You can find all different kinds of lime diets. They were all very complicated, and I'm yeah. a picky eater, and it really, what it, what it meant for me was I was going to go down to eating practically nothing. So I had to find. You have to still find something that works for you. Um, so there's these the. There's a there's tiered diets which take you for a first month on a really strict kind of fasting thing, and then you can add a little you can add things here and there along the way, and over the next couple months you can do all of that. I tried all of that. It just I th- thought I got I really felt crappy because I wasn't eating very much.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: so what I did is I went I cut out two things. I cut out all gluten and I cut out sugar, which basically means you shop around the edge of the store. Right. Um. And that did it. I mean, not, and I lost a lot of weight too, um,
1: and that was a big change for you because you ate a lot of white foods.
0: I did, I did, and my mom, my mom cooked a lot of white foods, so yeah. you know, for me, it was it was all of those things that moms and white cook. Foods are right. so
1: delicious. Oh,
0: they're good, and you know, I love sugar. I love cake is one of my and ice cream are two of my favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> now, what I did too, and I I will cheat once a week, so I'll have a. a Uh, uh, you know, uh, a little bowl of ice cream once a week or something like that. I'll have a piece of bread once a week. But if I do that too many days in a row, then I can feel it. I feel it immediately after that. We did a yeah. cruise, and I cheated the whole time because I just couldn't help myself. And I I and it so difficult. I felt like crap for two weeks, <laughs> and Jennifer well, warned know, me I was going to feel like crap, and I did. Yeah. But that could be, you know, I think anybody that cuts out sugar and gluten and then goes and eats a whole week of sugar and gluten is going to feel like crap for oh, two yeah, weeks. I totally yeah,
1: totally feel
0: like crap. So I don't know but, if that was a line. But also, an
1: easy way to boil your diet down now is that you. You not just cut out gluten and sugar, but you don't eat processed foods anymore. You make fresh foods,
0: right? And that, now I don't like a lot of vegetables, so I'm missing out on a lot of. And I mean, I don't like them to the point where I couldn't swallow them. um I that I know it's true. So for me, my vegetable diet is limited to like five or six things. What
1: about cucumbers? I love I like cucumbers. cucumbers.
0: I love cucumbers. Um, So cucumbers is one of the things I do like, tomatoes and all that stuff. but And I love fruit. And when I did the diet originally, I had cut fruit out. And I found that to be a negative. I still think, this is my personal belief, I'm not a doctor and I'm not Wendy. Uh, I still believe the body needs some sugar. So I... What I made my piece with was that I'm going to get my sugar through natural things, through fruit. It's not right. processed; it's fruit. Um, so I eat fruit now, and I think I feel better than I did when I wasn't eating fruit.
1: I think um, I think that fruit's really important in Chinese medicine when we do food therapy. Right? Sweet—the taste sweet—is um, a qi tonic. So you have to have things that are. But but it. But it's talking about sweet as in sweet that's in the food, not like cane sugar. Right. Well, and so that's the difference there. You cut out a lot of just uh, like like processed sugar, but you're getting sugar from, you know, fruit, from strawberries, melons, grapes, whatever. So that's a that can boost your chi. Just like, you know, I used to give you crap about the five-hour energy thing. You did. But I read it, and it's not as bad as I thought.
0: And it, you know, it's not like I'm overdoing it. I'm doing it when I have a problem, right? So, but it's
1: sweet, right? It tonifies your chi, so so you can think about the five. I don't know about that, but you're heavily energy.
0: caffeinated for a while. I, you know, for me yeah. because it's neurological, I think it just helps my. It's just the caffeine goes to your well, I'm brain. I'm
1: anti-caffeine. <laughs> no, you, you know, I need start in the morning before I get
0: going. Hey, you know, the other thing, too, is um, stevia. Is, a lot of the research is showing that stevia might be one of the best things to fight Lyme disease. Oh, uh, really? There's a lot of articles coming out now that you can read. Just look up stevia and Lyme. And I do use stevia some. You have to be careful with stevia. There's good ones and there's bad ones, and some of them are so bitter mm-hmm. you don't want to eat them. But, uh, you know, there's oh. you have to sort of experiment. A god is another thing that they're saying is, is not, you know, is, isn't oh, the Oh good, okay.
1: margaritas!
0: Exactly, is okay. Uh, actually, it's so funny because one of the because if you go off of sugar, you're eliminating most alcohol, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, but tequila was actually on the list of things that might not be bad for you Perfect. until you drink enough that you're dancing on the tables. Then it's probably bad for you. Um, then...
1: One margarita a day is not bad. <laughs> and also margaritas have vitamin C in them.
0: Yeah, and a lot of sugar. Uh, It's a problem. All the mixed drinks I really like have a ton of sugar.
1: No, but if you get just a juice margarita, if you ask them for just the lime juice, you have lime juice, agave, and tequila. It's like the perfect lime cocktail.
0: (laughs) I do use agave quite a bit, and I haven't had a problem with that. I think from what I've read, the sugar... The sugars are different in in agave. I don't understand it, but
1: well, because uh, it's not processed. I think it's yeah. because it's just like I think agave is kind of like looks like an aloe. It and does they squeeze it out of there.
0: Yep, it does. That's exactly what it looks like, actually. Well, I know this went a lot longer than we usually do, and it was a little more serious than we usually do. But uh, it's important for a lot of us in the horse world, and a lot of us personally, and our horses and our dogs. Uh, so, thank you, Dr. Wendy, for spending so much time on this. We really appreciate it. And thanks to Dorothy from LymeDisease.org. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the previous episode that we did back in 2013. It was.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's so, so long ago.
0: On the Stable Scoop Show, we did that. And uh, as I said, it was still one of the most down- tens and tens of thousands of downloads. So, you can go back and take a listen, and what you're going to hear is not a lot's changed, unfortunately. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Driving Radio Show. We are one of 17 different shows on the Horse Radio Network all about horses. You can find all of the different shows at horseradionetwork.com. Dr. Wendy, you can, you can find her, and, and you have a store there, and all kinds of things going on on your website.
1: Yep, at drwendyying.com. That's drwendyying.com.
0: And all of our show notes will be at drivingradioshow.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Keep the shiny yeah. side up. <laughs> Which, for those of you that don't drive, means when you're driving a carriage and there's a horse out front and you're in the carriage, the shiny side of the carriage, the not dirty side, is on the top. So that's why she says keep the shiny side up. Because if the shiny side's down, it's a bad day for it's everybody. very bad. Very bad. You could say keep the dirty <laughs> side down, too, but it doesn't sound as pretty.
1: No, but it's so negative. That's true. <laughs>